Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Haunted Collection with your host, writer, paranormal investigator, and haunted collector, Kevin Kane, here on this Friday the 13th to bring you some chilling tales to make your night more creepy. Yes, it's Friday the 13th, and I thought it would be great fun to go ahead and record an episode right here during this uh, crazy night of mischief and alleged bad luck and creepiness and Jason Voorhees, Crystal Lake. What's Friday the 13th without watching a good Jason Voorhees movie? So if you don't do anything else tonight, at least pop in a good Jason movie. Sit back and enjoy and be scared, my friends. Be scared. I want to go ahead and advertise again next month. The last weekend of October, we will be in Orange Beach, Alabama at the Wharf for Crypticon. Do you like Bigfoot? Do you enjoy stories about UFOs, ghosts, and cryptids? Be sure to come on down and join us. I will be there. I'll have a table set up with a few of my haunted items on display. I'll have my books available for purchase and signing. And I'll also even do a panel about my paranormal adventures and my haunted collecting. So be sure to come on down. I'll even share a scary story or two while I'm there, I'm sure. So be sure to come on down and join us for that event, Crypticon, the last weekend of October. That's next month, so hurry over to abnormalalabama.com and purchase your ticket. Also, don't forget to join us on Tuesday nights at abnormalalabama.com. You can get there on their Facebook page on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock Central Time. We do a live podcast where we talk about creepy goings-on and share some nice creepy stories this last tuesday night we talked about skinwalkers and i introduced a new entry in my haunted collection it's a tribal skinwalker mask that is believed to provide its owner with the ability to shapeshift i have it hanging right here in my house so we'll see what happens or what kind of activity i get from it So now, without further ado, on this lovely Friday the 13th evening, by the way, outside tonight is supposed to be a full moon, but not just a full moon, it's going to be a half-harvest moon as well. So be sure to take a look at that tonight. And speaking of that, and speaking of shapeshifters, I decided this time for this episode to share with you one of my favorite werewolf stories. The name of this story is By the Fright of the Silvery Moon. My name is Peter. I am 15 years old. My father, Alec, was a hardworking farmer who had brought me and my brother, Edward, to America from Hungary after the end of the last war. With the meager amount of money he managed to save, my father had bought a small farm in the Midwest. It was a beautiful place at the edge of a beautiful town with rolling hills, green fields, clear ponds, 
white church spires, all as much as the eye could see. Peter, my father used to say to me, I have worked hard, but it's been worth it. Now you and Edward will have a good life, and you will never have to be afraid of anything. Yes, Papa, I would say, and Edward would agree. In fact, the only thing I was afraid of was that no girl would ever look at me with my Hungarian-made clothing and my funny accent to say nothing of the little brother who followed me everywhere I went. Actually, I was happy to have Edward along. He was a good-natured boy and always eager to help. One day, about a year after we'd come to America, I was helping my father feed the chickens when we heard someone shouting. It was Edward, who'd been out in the cornfields. Papa! He screamed, dashing across the farmyard. Papa, come quickly! My father looked up from his burlap sack in alarm. What is it, Edward? He asked. What's the matter? He's white as a ghost, Papa. I said. Edward stood panting before us, trying to get enough breath to speak. There, there, there's a dead man, Papa, in the cornfield. He gasped. Come quickly, please. A dead man? Where? Show me. I followed my father and Edward at a run to the cornfields. He pl- we plunged into the tall corn rows together, crashing through the stalks, using our arms to keep the leaves out of our eyes. It was hard to keep a sense of direction in the cornfield, hard even to see the sky. But Edward seemed to know exactly where he was going. Finally, he stopped. There, he pointed. There he is. My father crouched down ahead of me and gasped. "Good Lord!" I heard him say. He, "He's been attacked by a wild beast." I reached my father's side and looked down at the awful thing on the ground. It was a man, or what was left of a man. He had been ripped to shreds by something very powerful. And very merciless. I could only hope that the man had died quickly. But Papa said, "Edward, his eyes huge with fright, there are no wild beasts around here." Edward is right, Papa. I agreed. There are only raccoons and skunks and field mice, and for sure they did not do this. My father's face darkened. He stared intently at the mangled body on the ground and finally spoke. "Then it is the work of a werewolf," he said. "Papa," Edward and I gasped together. Such a thing seemed unthinkable in the green hills and tidy fields of our new land. In Hungary, yes, perhaps. There, werewolves were whispered about in every little town, and on every far- farm. But here in America, no. I thought we had left such horrors behind us," said my father grimly. "I see that I am wrong. 
Are you, are you sure, Papa? asked Edward. Are you sure it's a werewolf? Papa turned and started back toward the house. Yes, Edward, he said. I am sure. He looked up at the sky, thinking, Last night was the full moon. Come, we must go to town to tell them what we have found. Papa, I cried, you're not going to tell them. Uh, I trailed off, unable to even imagine what their response would be to the news of a werewolf on the foreigner's farm. No, Peter, my father reassured me. I am not going to tell them that I think it's the work of a werewolf. They would not believe in, in it anyway. I can hardly believe it myself, I, I muttered as we ran toward our old pickup truck. My father drove us into town and soon our little farm was alive with the curious who came from all around to see the gory sight. A whole group of farmers in dusty denims and battered hats stood over the body shaking their heads. Torn to shreds, one of them said. Horrible. In the kitchen, the sheriff was questioning my father. As I passed under the window, I heard the sheriff ask, And you heard no screams, Mr. Gedra? No cries last night? I heard nothing, my father replied. I can't figure out what could have done it, said the sheriff. It's, it's the darndest thing. Looks like a wild animal attacked him. But we ain't got nothing like that around here. Only squirrels and chipmunks and such like. And they sure as heck wouldn't do that. You got any ideas, Mr. Gedro? I... I have none, said my father. Meanwhile, my younger brother was mingling with the local farm boys who were just as curious as their fathers. Maybe it was an escaped lion from a circus, said one of them. Ah, oh, we would have heard about it on the radio, scoffed another. Then I heard the thin little voice of my brother piping up. My papa says it was a werewolf he said eagerly. A, a werewolf? echoed the first boy, fearfully. What's that? asked the second. A werewolf, Edward said, is a human being who changes when the full moon comes up into a vicious, flesh-craving wolf. Oh, that's just comic book stuff, said one of the boys. No one believes in that junk around here. In my old country in Hungary, said Edward, the people there believe in werewolves. Edward, I cut in as I reached the group of boys, that's enough. But Edward was upset. He wanted them to believe him. Tell them, Peter, he said, tell them that there are really such things as werewolves. I grabbed Edward's collar and pulled him away, flabbergasted that he didn't even have better sense than to go talking about werewolves with these people we hardly knew. I pushed him all the way into the house and turned him around when we were safely in the front hall out of earshot. Why don't you learn to keep your mouth shut? 
I said fiercely at him with a low voice. But what harm is there in talking about werewolves? asked Edward. He really was so innocent that there was no point in yelling at him. Werewolves? said a rough voice behind us. It was the sheriff. Werewolves, eh? he repeated. Who said something about werewolves? He stood there glaring down at us, his bushy eyebrows arched, and the ash of the cigar he held smoldering like the red eye of some monster. We stood frozen, unable to think of anything to say. Well, he said, I'm waiting. What about them? Nothing, sir, I stammered. We didn't say... Papa says it's the work of a werewolf, said Edward, cutting in. I could have strangled him then and there. Oh, he did, did he? said the sheriff thoughtfully, scratching his large stubby chin. Yes, said Edward. In Hungary there are many werewolves. During the day they are just like ordinary human beings, but on the night that the moon is full, they change. They change into a wolf, eh? asked the sheriff. And they eat human flesh, I guess. Why, sheriff, I said, you know all about them, don't you? Yes, I do, he replied with a little smile. His two deputies, who had been out in the cornfield, appeared at the door. Okay, boys, he said to them, let's wrap that critter in a sack and clear out of here. Later, after the sheriff and all the other people had left our farm, I told my father about Edward and his big mouth. He told everybody, even the sheriff. Well, sighed my father, I would not worry too much, Peter. They will not believe it anyway. Nearly a month passed without any event. We had been forgetting about the awful thing we'd found in our cornfield. After all, on a farm, the work must go on, no matter what. But one night, I was awakened from a fitful sleep by the sound of a distant howling. I got up and ran to my father's bedroom. He was fast asleep. Papa, I said, shaking him, Papa! Peter, is that you? he asked. He sat up, wiping the sleep from his eyes, and then he heard it too. We sat for a while, listening to the howls. Then he patted me on the back gently. It is probably an old dog howling at the moon, he reassured me. Now go back to sleep, and do not wake your brother. I tiptoed past Edward's door and slipped into bed, but it took me a long time to get back to sleep. Later that night, I was awakened by a commotion. I became aware that Edward was shaking me hard by the shoulder. Peter, he was yelling, someone is hammering on the door, wake up. The two of us hurried to the top of the stairs. We could hear angry voices below so we tiptoed downstairs to the kitchen. As we got closer, 
we could hear my father arguing with some men. One of them was the sheriff. No, my father was shouting. I am no werewolf, I swear it. We peeked in at the door to see the sheriff shaking his fist at my father. You come from Hungary, don't you? He was yelling into my father's face. Wolf's bane grows in Hungary. I know all about it. We cowered in the doorway, watching in helpless terror as the sheriff grabbed my father's shirt front and pulled my father's face up to his. We found another victim, Gidra. He was killed tonight, torn to pieces and partially eaten, as though some wild beast had gotten him. And there's no wild beast around here, offered the deputy. Only little shrews and voles and... Shut up, Smithers, said the sheriff. We know that werewolves attack when the moon is full. He shouted at my father, and there's a full moon tonight. And werewolves come from Hungary, Smithers put in. We didn't have no killings like this before you come here said the sheriff, growing uglier and bigger by the second. So you must be the werewolf. He pointed at my father, and in a second, the deputy grabbed my father and dragged him from the house. We ran behind them, pulling on their clothes and screaming, Papa! Papa! But the sheriff wasn't listening to us. We know how to get rid of a werewolf here, he said with a silver bullet like the one Hank here carved. And then in the moonlight, as Edward and I watched helplessly, those three men shot my father with a silver bullet. Then they left. We ran to our father as he lay in the farmyard, but it was too late. Papa, sobbed Edward, Papa! He shook Papa as though he might be able to wake him up. He's dead, Edward, I wept. They, they killed him. Edward looked up at me with tear-filled eyes. Papa wasn't the werewolf, was he, Peter? No, I shouted, he couldn't have been. I saw him tonight, sleeping in his room. Edward's face grew hard as I watched it. He choked back his tears, and his voice grew hard, too. I'll get him, he said. I'll get that werewolf. I know who it is. I can tell. Edward, I cried, shocked. Who is it? It's that sheriff, he said. Did you ever notice the way his eyebrows grow together? That's the sign of a werewolf. Next month, when the moon is full, I'll wait for him and... What can you do, Edward? I asked, frightened. You have no gun, no silver bullet. No, he said, but I have these. He held up both hands, an object in each one. I have a slingshot, and I have a silver dollar. A slingshot? A silver dollar? How can you kill a werewolf with a silver dollar? You'll see, he said as we turned and trudged back toward the house. There were only two people at my father's funeral, me and Edward. 
All that month we lived in the house alone. And every day Edward worked on his silver dollar. He stood it up in the big iron base in the basement and filed away at it all around the edges. You see, Peter, he said to me one night when I came downstairs at midnight to see what he was doing. I'm almost done. I have made it sharp as a razor. I will have a lethal silver missile. And you're going to fire that with a slingshot, I asked. Exactly, he said. I mean to avenge our father's death. He was innocent, and I will prove it. Then we'll do it together, Edward. When the moon is full, we will clear our father's name together. And so I set about sharpening the edge of another silver dollar for myself and fashioning a powerful slingshot out of the forked branch of a beech tree, just as my father had taught me. At last, the night of the full moon came. Edward and I were ready. We left the house quietly and crossed the barnyard in the bright light of the full moon. We crossed the fields toward town, moving as stealthily as cats. We would get that devil, or we would die trying. Suddenly, Edward grabbed my arm. Hush, hush, what was that? He whispered. I heard nothing, Edward, I whispered back. And then we saw it. A shadowy figure stealing down a lonely country road. Look, I said, it's, is that him up ahead? Let's separate, Peter, whispered Edward into my ear. You go that way, and I'll go this way. Before I could object, Edward had darted off into the nearby woods. I stood there a moment, hesitating. Then I swung off into the trees on the other side of the road. We would circle around him and cut him off, and then we'd have him. Suddenly, a blood-curdling scream split the night air. It was Edward's scream. Edward, I called out. I ran as fast as I could toward the sound, and as I ran, I slipped the razor-sharp silver dollar into my slingshot. I would get that demon. I would not lose the last member of my family to its foaming jaws. Edward, I'm coming! At last, I burst out onto the clearing, and then I saw it. It was a horrible, hairy, red-eyed creature, worse than anything in my wildest nightmares. It bent over its victim, slavering its mouth dripping blood. Was I too late? Edward, I screamed. But the body on the ground lay still. Oh, Lord, I sobbed. What have you done to him? The creature looked up from its dreadful business. It noticed me for the first time, and then it moved a lot faster than I would have thought, springing to its feet and loping directly toward me. There wasn't much time to think, 
So I shoved my deadly silver dollar into the pocket of my slingshot and I took aim quickly. I pulled it back as far as I could as that thing got closer and closer to me. I could smell its disgusting breath, feel the hot air coming from its bloody jaws. I had only one shot before it would be on me. I let the slingshot snap. My aim was true. The silver dollar flew unerringly at its target and entered the werewolf's throat with a sickening splat. The monster grunted in surprise, looked directly at me, and pitched forward onto the ground. I'd killed it. Even if I hadn't been able to save my brother, at least I'd avenged his death and kept the thing from killing again. I stood over it, panting, and watched the life flow out of it. And as I watched, the thing began to change. It was becoming human again. I waited for the familiar, ugly features of the sheriff to emerge as the disgusting fangs shrank away and the hair disappeared and the eyes darkened and the agonized face of my younger brother took shape before my eyes. Edward, I choked, hardly believing what was before me. I bent over his body, sobbing uncontrollably. So... Edward was the werewolf and he had killed the sheriff for it was the sheriff lying in that clearing torn to pieces and I had killed Edward. Did Edward himself know the truth? That I would never know. And thus ends that great werewolf classic story by the fright of the silvery moon but it looks like we have just enough time for one quick little story to end our show a little ditty I came across not long ago it's supposedly based on a true incident but I'll leave that up to you to decide if that's true the name of the story is called The Bay Window One Cold Winter Night A 16-year-old girl named Brittany was home alone watching TV. Her parents had gone out to a dinner party at a friend's house. It had been snowing heavily all afternoon, but Brittany felt nice and snug as she sat on the sofa in the lounge, tucked up under a warm, fuzzy blanket. By midnight, Brittany's parents were still at home or still not home, I should say, and she began to feel uneasy. She didn't want to call them in case they thought that she couldn't take care of herself. She wanted them to know that she was a big girl. The television was in the corner of the room right next to the big bay window. She was watching one of her favorite movies, a horror film named Prom Night, when suddenly... Out of the corner of her eye, 
she noticed something moving in the bay window. Through the darkness and the falling snow, she could make out the figure of a man walking towards the window. As he got closer, she was able to make out his face, and it filled her with horror. The man's face was hideously scarred. His eyes were wild and crazy, and he seemed to be grinning maliciously at her. Very frightened, Brittany pulled the fuzzy blanket over her head and tried to hide. She hardly dared to move. Slowly, she pulled the blanket aside just enough to peer out with one eye. The man was still there, just standing there, staring directly at her as the snow fell behind him. Then he reached into his coat and pulled something out. It was a long knife. Terrified, Brittany pulled the blanket back over her head and hoped, prayed that the madman would think it was just a pile of blankets sitting on the sofa. She managed to move her hand slowly over to her pocket and took out her mobile phone. Pressing the buttons in panic, she dialed 911 and held her breath as she waited for the answer. The operator finally came on and asked, What is your emergency? Brittany put the phone close to her face and whispered, There's a man outside my window. He's got a knife. Please come quickly. She sat motionless under the blanket as the minutes ticked by. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Eventually, she heard sirens outside and the police started banging on her front door. Brittany pulled off the blanket and rushed to the front door, relieved, letting the two police officers inside. They said they had seen no trace of anyone outside her house. But he was right there, said Brittany, pointing out the bay window to her snow-covered front lawn. That's not possible, said the female officer. There couldn't have been anyone standing out there. The snow is completely undisturbed. If there was someone out there, they would have left footprints. But he was standing right there staring at me, said Brittany. I saw him with my own two eyes. You know, your eyes can play tricks on you, said the male officer. Maybe you've been watching too many scary movies. The officers turned to leave when, all of a sudden, the female officer stopped, dead in her tracks. She pulled back the sofa that Brittany had been sitting on. Her jaw dropped, and her eyes widened in shock. Brittany and the male officer gasped in unison. On the carpet behind the sofa, there was a trail of wet footprints and a discarded knife. You weren't looking at the man outside the window, said the female officer. You were looking at his reflection. He was standing right behind you the whole time.
And that is the end of another nice little chilling ditty, The Bay Window. I hope you enjoyed my two stories, and I hope you tune in for the next episode. But meanwhile, as I said before, be sure to pop in a good classic Jason movie and enjoy your Friday the 13th evening. Go outside and check out that harvest moon, but be sure to watch out for werewolves. They just might be skulking in the nearby woods. But if nothing else, please be sure to have a happy haunting. Ha, 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 ha.